Well, we started last week a series that we're just titled Q&A, Your Questions, God's Answers. And this is the second message in that series. If you missed last week's message, uh, I want to encourage you to go to our website. You can download it to your own device or you can listen right there online. The question I'm addressing this morning is, how can I know God's will for my life? How can I know God's will for my life? It's a great question, Uh, one to which every Christ followers should feel both an excitement and I think and a responsibility to find the answer because we want to live lives of significance uh, for the kingdom of God. We want to live lives that are pleasing to God. We don't want to miss our moment in life. We don't want to miss the very purpose for which uh, we were created and uh, for which Christ came. When I was in, in a middle school student, I went out to a camp called Lake Retreat. It's about 10 miles east of Kent, Washington, and uh, I was in a, a little small group. The title was Discovering God's Purpose for Your Life, and that week, Philippians 3.12 became my life verse. It's been my life verse ever since, and the living Bible was hip back then, and, and so I memorized Philippians 3.12 in the living Bible, and it says, I don't mean to say I'm perfect. I haven't learned all that I should, even yet but I keep working towards that day when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. And it was for the first time in my life that I thought there was a purpose. It wasn't just that I would have forgiveness of sins. There was a purpose for which Christ saved me. And and, and only in a relationship with him would I ever discover that purpose. And I hope that you have a desire to discover God's purpose and plan for your life, that you don't miss it, that you don't kind of wander through life without ever having connected with God's plan, his idea, what the person that he thought of when, when he first thought of you, the person that he intended for you to become, the things that he intended you to accomplish in your life for the kingdom of God. King David wrote in Psalm 143, verse 10, Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Teach me, Lord, to do your will. Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6:10, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the purpose of the, the life of discipleship, of following Jesus, is to Do the will of God on earth as it is in heaven. I heard someone say this week that that the Christian life is just an ongoing affirmation of the lordship of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul urged the Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 10, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Later on in verse 17, he said, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Would you note with me the contrast there? Foolish on the one hand and understanding what the Lord's will is on the other. You don't want to live a foolish life. If you're going to be a fool, be a fool for Christ. Well, what does the will of God mean? What do do we mean by that expression? Well, the Bible actually speaks of God's will in three ways. And these three interrelated dynamics can be understood first as God's sovereign will. Secondly, is God's moral will. And third is God's individual will. And so there's no confusion 
allow me to state right now that there is no daylight between those three. They are not three different wills. They are all one and the same. They are the will of God. But we can understand them in three different ways because we sometimes as human beings need some structure to our thinking. Let's begin with that first one, God's sovereign will. God's sovereign will. What do we mean by that? We mean God's predetermined plan for everything that happens in the universe. God's predetermined plan for everything that happens in the universe. So that when we say that God is sovereign, what we are saying is that he is the creator, first of all, and then secondly, because of that fact, that he is the unrivaled ruler of all creation. The visible creation, the invisible creation. Through the prophet Isaiah, God said, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. The prophet Daniel declared, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? There's no, there's no better statement regarding the sovereignty of God in all of the Bible that I know of than that. In eternity past, see, because our minds can't comprehend eternity, so we have to attach words like past. In eternity past, God conceived a perfect plan for all of history. And he is working all things according to that plan in keeping with his sovereign will. The Apostle Paul wrote about that sovereign will to the Ephesian believers, saying that in Christ, by the Holy Spirit, God is now making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. When you encounter that word mystery, especially in Paul's writings, he's the one that uses that word the most in the New Testament. I think without exception, uh, he, he's describing something that, that, that was a part of the will of God that had not been previously revealed. And he uses that word several times in his letters. It, it means something that God has not previously revealed, but now is revealing, now is disclosing to us making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose at the center of which is Christ and God's plan is to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In other words, all of history is moving towards one predetermined culmination to bring everything in heaven and earth together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. You should say amen to that. a friend who's a black pastor in Baltimore and he says, I'm preaching better than you're saying amen. <laughs> in his letter to the Christians in Rome, Paul, reflecting on this mystery of God's sovereign will, just breaks out into praise and worship. He can't contain himself anymore. Romans 11, 33 to 36, Oh, the depth of the riches 
and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. So you're learning. Amen. Good. Good. Pretty soon you'll be saying amen better than I'm preaching. You might say we're already saying amen better than you're preaching. God's sovereign will, secondly, his moral will, in part which, of which is to be nice to your pastor. <laughs> what do we mean by God's moral will? More specifically, what does the Bible mean by God's moral will? We mean, that God's, we mean God's moral commands that are revealed in the scriptures and teach us how we ought to believe and how we ought to live. Moral commands revealed in the scriptures. See, the Bible reveals 100% of God's moral will. One only need to think of the Ten Commandments themselves and the many other commandments given to God's people in both the Old and New Testaments. Paul was able to state in Romans 2 that even the Jews who did not believe in Jesus knew the will of God because they were instructed from the law. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. See, when it comes to making moral decisions, if we desire to do God's moral will, then, and we should, then all of our decisions need to be brought into obedience to and harmony with what God has revealed in the Bible. Thank you. God bless you. This might get out of hand. See, God didn't give us 10 suggestions, did he? They weren't 10 good ideas. They were 10 commandments. See, you don't need to wonder whether... you should honor or obey your father and mother. You don't need to wonder whether you should murder your science teacher or cheat on your income taxes or or date or marry an unbeliever or covet your neighbor's husband or wife or their stuff or engage in a premarital or extramarital sexual relationship or rob the local 7-Eleven, or, or charge up your credit card and wind up in deep debt, deep debt. You don't need to ask for God's personal direction on any of the topics on which he has already revealed his moral will. You don't need to waste time praying about whether you should obey them. God is not going to change his mind. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is not going to make an exception for you. I'm sorry. Although we often think he should, don't we? I mean, we think we're special. At the same time, there there are many matters which the moral will of God does not address. Specific situations in which you have to make decisions. Where you'll go to school. What your vocation will be, your career whether to accept that new job offer, which church to join, where to serve in the church, who you should date, who you'll marry, 
which house to buy, whether you should get a burger at Red Robin or IHOB, <laughs> and a whole bunch of other decisions. These are not all determined by God's moral will, but they come under the heading for our purposes this morning of God's individual will. God's individual will. And by that, we're referring to God's plan and purpose for our individual lives and the daily guidance that he's pleased to provide us by the Holy Spirit through a variety of other means. So let's quickly review. God's sovereign will is not knowable by us except as he has revealed it to us by the Holy Spirit through the apostles and the prophets and most fully in the person and work and teaching of Jesus Christ. So while God has not revealed the fullness of his sovereign will to us, because we can't handle the truth, we may observe that he has revealed as much of it as we need. And in fact, more of it than we can handle. At the center of which is his work of redemption through the incarnation, life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and glorification of God the Son and his imminent return for his bride, the church. God's will, God's moral will, may be fully known because God has fully revealed it in his word, the Bible. His individual will is revealed on an ongoing, day-to-day, hour-by-hour, moment-by-moment basis. And so to the question, how may I know God's individual will for my life? I hope you've asked this question. If not, I hope that you'll start asking this question. Before I answer it, let me just offer a few brief observations. Number one, God never wills something for you that he won't reveal it to you. God never wills something for you that he won't reveal to you. So you can be confident that God isn't holding out on you. Ever feel like that? Well, God, you're just holding out on me. Would you show me? what you want me to do. God isn't holding out on you when it comes to his will for your life. Jesus said, listen now, Jesus said that his sheep will know his voice. If you belong to his flock, if you are a part of the family of God, if you're in the kingdom, as you grow spiritually, you will acquire the ability to hear his voice speaking clearly into your life, revealing his will to you. Now, it it probably won't be an audible voice. Could be. God could speak to you audibly if he chose to. But most likely it won't be an audible voice. It will be through other things that we're going to get into in a moment. Secondly, then God wants to speak to you much more than you want to listen to him. Amen? He does. He wants to speak to you much more than you're really inclined to pay attention to. Third, God wants to reveal his will to you much more than you want to do it. I didn't hear an amen on that. (laughs) See, he's already revealed more of his will to you than you have ever obeyed. 
You know, you know more about what God wants for your life than, than you're willing to even respond to or even fess up to. Because if you're in Christ, if you, if you are a part of his flock, if you are in the family, you are going to hear from him. He's your heavenly father. He's going to be speaking into your life. He's your shepherd. He's going to be calling you to dinner. And here's the fourth observation, that we are living in a time when most people would rather listen to a lie than to the truth. And some of those people are sitting in this room right now. See, we would, we would much rather hear that God wants us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise and have straight teeth <laughs> and nice hair. That all we have to do is name and claim the things that we want from him that than that our lives may include being hated or rejected, persecuted for the name of Jesus. But Jesus said that all of those things are possible, even likely, for those who truly follow him. So you and I have to decide who we're going to serve and whose pleasure we're going to live for. In Colossians 4.12, Paul mentioned a man named Epaphras, whom he describes as a servant of Christ Jesus, He says he's always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. And I think that that expression ought to become our aspiration as followers of Jesus Christ, that we would stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. If it wasn't possible to have the assurance of the will of God, Paul would never have made that kind of statement. How many of you have ever traveled I-90, let's say between uh, Billings, Montana, and the state of Minnesota? Anybody? I-90? Okay. Well, if, if, if you have, then it's, you've inevitably seen countless signs and billboards telling you how many miles you have to go until you arrive at Wall Drug, right? Wall Drug, a tourist attraction in Wall, South Dakota. At one time, there were over 3,000 of those signs. Uh, you couldn't miss Wall Drug. And as I recall, when you're just beyond Wall Drug, whether you're going east or west, you begin seeing signs to tell you to turn around and go back to Wall Drug. Well, this morning, I'd like to to share with you eight road signs that will lead you not to wall drug, but to a fuller understanding of God's will for your life. Destination is God's will for your life. Eight road signs. Here's the first one, road sign number one, God's word. This is absolutely the foundation of knowing God's will for your individual life. You need to know God's word. You, you cannot understand in its fullness God's Sovereign will, moral will, individual will, unless you are in his word. Psalm 119.99 says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Kids, wouldn't you like to be smarter than all your teachers? Yeah. I have more understanding. In order to know the will of God, you have to have to understand his wisdom. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
We might say today, the, your word are the, the headlights on my semi. Because your, your word shows me not only where I'm going, but where I need to go. Paul wrote to, the, to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16. We saw this last week. All scripture is inspired by God. God breathed and it's useful, he says, to teach us what is true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. You cannot understand the will of God for your life without the word of God. God's will for each of our lives is revealed first in the Bible, his inspired word. As I said earlier, you don't have to pray about or seek counsel about what God has already revealed through the apostles and prophets in the pages of scripture. Some people say, well, I'll just let the Holy Spirit lead me. But they never consult the word of God, which is the written outward witness of the spirit. And the spirit of God will never lead you in contradiction with the word of God. Ever. Sometimes I'll have someone sitting in my office and they're in for counseling and I open God's word to them. I say, here's what God's word has to say about your situation. They say, they'll say something to the effect that, I'll paraphrase it, is there a better option? Is there another alternative to that? No. No, there isn't. How many of you know that the catcher on a baseball team is kind of the captain of the team? He's in charge. And, and sometimes, you know, I, I see this picture of some of us as Christians. You know, the, the catcher is giving signals to the pitcher because he has studied ahead of time all of the hitters on the other team. And he knows what their weaknesses are. He knows what will make them go fishing for a baseball with their bat. He knows what will freeze them there in the, in the box. And so he's giving signals to the pitcher, and the pitcher's, you can watch it happening. His signal, signal goes down, pitcher shakes his head. No, not that pitch. Another signal. No, not that pitch. And that's kind of us with God, isn't it? God's sending us signals and go, no, no, no. Give me another one. Give me another one. Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Listen, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. God's vehicle for the transformation that he wants to work in your life through the renewal of your mind begins with the word of God. If you want to discern the will of God, start with the word of God. Read it, study it, reflect on it, meditate on it, memorize it, sing it if you will, obey it. Road sign number two, prayer. If you want to understand God's will for your individual life, you need to ask him, Psalm 86.11 says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Simple prayer. That would be a good verse to memorize. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. James, in James chapter 1, verse 5, says, If any of you lacks wisdom, that which you need in order to discern God's will, 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. And it will be given him. There's a promise. Ask for wisdom. God will give it. He's not going to hold it back. He's going to pour it out on you if you're really willing to receive it and apply it in your life. Paul wrote to the Colossian Christians and he says in chapter 1 verses 9 and 10, And so from the day we heard, that is we heard about your faith in Christ, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. See, God reveals his will to you so that you can walk in a manner that is worthy of him, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's a description of the life that God wants you to live. Pray. Ask God to show you his will. Road sign number three, the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you. He will show you which path to take. Lord, which way do you want me to go? Which job do you want me to take? Which, which college do you want me to attend? Which church do you want me to attend? Which girl do you want me to marry? Which guy do you want me to marry? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will. He will show you. John 16, 13, when Jesus was um, about to go to the cross, he was talking to his disciples in that upper room discourse. He was talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit that he was going to send. He was going to pour out. And he says of the Spirit of God, when the Spirit of truth comes, The Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Romans 8.14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So we've got God's word, we've got prayer, and now the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. And how do you hear the voice of God? You seek it, you listen for it. Sometimes we just need to shut up, right? You turn off the TV, put down the cell phone. You know what I've noticed? A lot of times the voice of God sounds a lot like my wife. God's voice is a lot like Marcy's. Have you guys noticed that? Any of you? The voice of God kind of sounds like your husband or your wife? Because God speaks to you through people and those closest to you especially. The inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Roadside number four, circumstances. I don't have a definitive chapter and verse for this. But here's what I know from experience. That that when we pray, sometimes God says, yes. And he gives us what we ask for. Sometimes he says, no. And the issue is done. Sometimes he says, wait. Because the timing is not yet. Wait for it. 
I got work to do. I got work to do in your life. I got to work, work to do in the lives of others. Uh, you're not ready for what you're asking for. Wait. The circumstances aren't right. Wait. And I've also experienced in my life that sometimes doors open and doors close. And that's, that's actually a, I was thinking that's kind of Christian shorthand, you know, Christianese. But, but Paul used that expression a lot in his writings, that God had opened a door of opportunity for ministry, or he closed a door. He shut off an avenue of ministry. God will open doors and he'll close doors in your life. In the first service, I shared a story that I hadn't intended to share, but I'll share it anyway today in this service again. Um, in 1980... <laughs> What year was that? 1986. Um, I had finished graduate school in 83. And Marcy, we were, we were young, we were still kind of formulating our careers. And Marcy needed to go to a particular kind of clinic to get a particular credential that she needed. And that took us to Vancouver, Washington. And during that time, I worked in sales. She worked at the public health clinic. And then at the end of that three, we were there three years in Vancouver. So in 1985, 86, we began praying, Lord, what's next? And I began to look for a place of full-time ministry. And, and I kind of thought I was pretty well connected. I know a lot of pastors all over the Northwest. And I thought, oh, that won't be hard. But nothing was opening up. The doors seemed to be closed. And we both began to sense, Marcy and I together began to sense that God was about to do something different with us and that we'd better get ready for it, whatever it was. And we prayed and we said, Lord, we don't know what you're doing with us, but whatever it is, we want to say yes to it. So wherever you want us to go, whatever you want us to do, we'll, we'll go there, we'll do that. But our only request is, would you please allow us to stay somewhere for a while because we're tired of moving. That was our only request. But other than that, blank check, Lord, wherever. Well, during graduate school, I had done an internship in a, in a church in another denomination that I was used to. That door had kind of opened and I, I needed, an in, needed an internship. And so I did it. was there on the staff of that church for a couple of years uh, in the... Ballard area, Interbay. And there was a guy that I was on staff with there who had been a classmate of mine also at Seattle Pacific University as, as undergrads. And while I was on staff there, he left and went down to California and became the pastor of a church down there. So three years go by, I'm looking for a place of ministry and I'm not finding anything. We pray, Lord, wherever, whatever. And, and the next day, the phone rings, and it's my brother. He says, has Greg gotten in touch with you? I said, Greg who? He said, Greg Osmocopoulos. Has he gotten in touch with you? And I said, no. He goes, well, he's trying to reach you. He doesn't have your contact information. I gave him your phone number. He's probably going to call. Well, the next day, he did call. He said, he said I'm down here in Concord, California, pastoring this church. We want to hire an associate pastor. I'd like it to be you. Would you come down and look? Well, I didn't really want to be a part of that denomination for some doctrinal reasons that were kind of awkward for me. They weren't stoppers. They were just different. 
But I prayed, right? And all of a sudden, boom. So I thought, well, we better go look. So I flew down, and I knew from the moment I put my foot in the ground that God had called us there. And met with the search committee, did all that stuff, flew home, said, I think this is it. But I said to Greg, I said, look, I want Marcy to come down. I want her to see this. I want her to confirm this because we're going to come together. <laughs> and, and so she went down and, and, and she cried all the way home on the plane because she, she knew that God was doing this big move in our lives. Well, circumstances open doors. It was the clearest thing we'd ever heard from the Lord up until that moment in our lives that we were supposed to do that. Doors open, doors close. God will use circumstances in our lives to direct us. And the timing of events combined with the inner impressions from the Spirit of God will lead us in those circumstances. A few weeks ago I shared with you that my son is on staff on a church in Mill Creek, Washington, as director of worship there. Since then, something has happened. In a week from tomorrow, he begins a position as a quality assurance specialist at Starbucks corporate headquarters in the south downtown district of Seattle, Soto. Call out of the blue. Hey, what you doing, John? Um, who's this? I'm so-and-so from Starbucks. Would you be interested in applying for a position with us? No, I'm totally content where I am. Time goes by, another call. Hey, John, are you sure you wouldn't like to check this out? Yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Some more time goes by, phone rings again. Hey, John, this is me from Starbucks again. You interested? And he calls me, he goes, Dad, what should I do? <laughs> I said, well, maybe you ought to check it out. It's right, right in the center of what you were trained to do, right? Your degree and all that, your experience. And so he, uh, he submitted to the process, and God really spoke to them and shown them that showed him and Mallory that this is what God has for them. Door opens, door closes. Why? We believe God's calling us to do this. It's not that we don't like what we're doing now. We think God's calling us to do this. He will do that in your life. I gotta keep moving. Roadside number five, personal desires. Personal desires. Some people will tell you that you should never follow your personal desires when, when seeking the will of God for your life. Um, I know that when I was a kid, I hear missionaries would come to our church and they'd show their black and white pictures of Africa and I'd say, please God, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I thought if I was ever in the center of the will of God, I'd be completely miserable, right? And, and people that, that tell you not to follow your personal desires are going to cite scriptures like Jeremiah 17, 9, which says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? To assert that your personal desires are so tainted that they can't be trustworthy indicators of God's will. I don't agree with that. It's a whole lot easier, of course, most of the time to determine your own desires than it is to determine God's will. However, the Bible says that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
and God wired you with specific inclinations, a specific temperament, a certain set of interests and gifts and talents. And I believe that all of those things combine to serve as powerful indicators of who God created you to be and the life that he intends you to live, how he intends to use you in your life. In most cases, when a person comes to faith in Christ, those things don't go away. In fact, uh, they get redeemed and they get transformed. C.S. Lewis once wrote that when we come to faith in Christ and experience the new birth, the transformation, we become a new and better version of ourselves. More fully who we really are as God created and recreated us to be. I've told you the story of the, the little old lady in Federal Way when I was a youth pastor there. A little old lady came up to me. I preached a sermon there. I'm sure it was terrible, you know. Just around at a college, green as grass. I'm pretty sure it was terrible. This little old lady came up to me and looked at me through her little old lady glasses and said, Pastor, my prayer for you is that you'll become as beautiful a person as you were when God first thought of you. Never forgotten that moment. It felt like a prophetic moment. My prayer for you is that you become as beautiful a person as you were when God first thought of you. And I think that prayer applies to all of us. That God had a purpose and a plan in mind for you when he created you. And that he wired you with certain gifts and abilities and inclinations, skills that you've developed along the way as indicators of how you ought to be living, indicators of his will for your life. The psalmist wrote, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You notice the, the, the progression there? Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. As you delight yourself in the Lord, your, your desires are going to be shaped to his and he will give them to you. He doesn't intend to give you the sinful desires of your old, wicked, deceitful heart. He promises to give you the renewed desires of your redeemed heart that delights in the Lord. And so we should always, 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 though, be presenting those desires to the Lord for his scrutiny. David wrote in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So, so as I'm seeking the will of God and I, I, I present to him my desires, I say, Lord, would you just evaluate these for me? Would you search these for me? Would you show me if there's a problem here that I need to address? Road sign number six, mature counsel. Mature counsel. Proverbs 24, 6 says, By wise guidance you can wage your war, and in abundance of counselors there is victory. So if you're seeking to know the will of God for your life, ask some people around you what they see. Ask for their counsel. Ask godly people for their counsel. You know, Paul had Barnabas. I don't know if you know this, but Barnabas is just about, apart from Jesus Christ, Barnabas is about the most important person in the early history of the church. Without Barnabas, there would be no Paul. And without Paul, there would be no Timothy. Uh, Barnabas was an encourager of the church. He was a supporter of the church. He, you know, he's Barney. Barnabas means son of encouragement. He was, his gift was encouragement. 
And his ministry, his life, the life that he lived was central to the early life of the church. Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas counseled Paul. I know he did. He argued with Paul. He had a big fight with Paul one time. Psalm 1-1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. You want to look for godly counsel. Don't be listening to ungodly people. Don't be taking God's will from, for your life from HBO and Netflix. And here's the other thing. You know, I think if you're, if you're seeking God's will for your life, you want to surround yourself with, with people who are doing the same thing. And this fall, just about a, not long from now, we're going to be ramping up our life groups for the fall. And a life group is that place where you can have mature, godly counsel surrounding you. And if you're seeking God's will for your life, you need to be in a small group with other believers, whether that's a group of women, a group of men, a mixed group, whatever it is, get into a group with people. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I need to move on here. Roadside number, road sign number seven, common sense. I'm going to say one thing about that move on. Here it is. Common sense is increasingly uncommon. Check it out. Roadside number eight, special supernatural guidance. Special supernatural guidance. Would you notice with me that this is the last on the list? And by special supernatural guidance, I mean those times when God intervenes miraculously in someone's life to give guidance and direction. You might think of the Apostle Paul's conversion experience on the road to Damascus where God, you know, blasted him with light and knocked him off his horse and the the resurrected glorified Christ spoke directly with him. Or his dream later that resulted in him going to Macedonia to preach the gospel. Or you might think of Uh, Philip, you know, having been called by an angel from a very fruitful mission to a whole bunch of people in Samaria in order to share the gospel with just one Ethiopian government official who believed in Jesus and was baptized and, and went home to Ethiopia as a new person with the gospel. And then Philip was whisked off by the Spirit to another place of ministry, or you might think of the apostles praying and literally rolling dice to select the man who would replace Judas Iscariot among the twelve apostles. See, most of us would like supernatural guidance, like dreams and visions and audible voices from heaven, to be the norm, and just skip over all the other road signs. Wouldn't it be so much easier if God would just do that, right? We'd like God to throw a brick through our window wrapped in a a road map for our lives. And God can still lead in supernatural ways, and he does. I don't don't want to discount this at all. In the Islamic world today, we're hearing story after story of, of Muslims having dreams in which Jesus appears to them personally and speaks to them and persuades them of, of the truth, and they believe and put their trust in Christ. But God doesn't usually lead us 
by those things we think of as supernatural. Even in the book of Acts, the number of experiences of supernatural guidance is relatively small. Instead, God chooses to lead us through his word, through prayer, through the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, through mature godly counsel from spiritual leaders and fellow believers. If there's one aspect of God's will that I want to close with, and it precedes them all. It's God's will that you be saved from the penalty and power of your sin by putting your faith in Christ. Jesus described his purpose in coming to earth in human flesh in these words that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's you. And that's me. 1 Timothy 2.4, Paul wrote, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He desires that for you today if you have not trusted in Christ yet. And some of you have heard this over and over and you've said, well, someday, someday I'll get serious about my relationship with God, but not now, later. And I want to remind you that uh, time is getting away from you. And you're running out of time. You have no idea how much or how little time you actually have left. You're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised this afternoon. God has told you what you should do, and so now do it. You say, well, I'm going to pray that God will lead me. And I want to say it. He's leading you right now through me. Now is the time. Today is the day. See, unless you've trusted in Christ and you've given your life to him, all this talk about discovering God's will for your life makes absolutely no sense. Jesus said, if anyone wills to do my will, then he'll know whether my teaching is true. And a lot of us are waiting to say, well, God, I want you to show me your will for my life, and then I'll decide whether I'm going to do it. And it doesn't work that way. You may have rejected his plan and purpose for your very existence. But I want you to know it's not too late until it's too late. And as of this very moment, it's not too late. You can trust in Christ today. The Apostle Peter wrote, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God is being patient with you. Patient. Waiting. And he's waiting for you to open your heart so that he can come in. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have not held back your will for our lives. That we don't have to wrangle it out of you. That you are completely willing to disclose to us your will for our lives on a day-by-day basis if we are willing to receive it. And Lord, I pray today for those who are sitting on the fence with regard to faith in Christ, that today might be the day that they would pray a prayer like this that simply says, uh, God,
I know that I'm a sinner and I, I know that I need a savior. I know that Christ died in my place and I want to trust today that what he, the blood that he shed there, the death that he died was sufficient for me. That my sins would be forgiven. That I could be reconciled to you. And I could have the confidence that I have eternal life. So I'm offering myself to you now, asking that you would come into my life and make you the per- make me the person that you want me to be. And help me, Lord, to discover your purpose and plan for my life in all the days ahead, that I might do it, that I might live it until the day that you return for me. If that's your prayer this morning, I, I hope that you'll come and just let me know before you leave that you prayed that prayer. And as we come to the Lord's table this morning, we come celebrating what Christ accomplished there on our behalf. And the the juice represents the blood that he shed and the bread represents the body that he gave for us. That our sins might be forgiven, that we might be reconciled to God, that we might discover his purpose and plan for our lives. Lord, we love you. We celebrate now and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.